Hello and welcome to episode 56 of The Solid 60. My name is Patrick and you're listening to hopefully a roughly weekly uh, podcast where I talk about things that interest me and read articles or IMDb or Reddit, whatever I come across that uh, tickles my fancy that particular week. This week I'm going to read an article I mentioned last week, but first I catch up on what's been going on. Work is still work, not much has changed in the sense that uh, I'm still getting on a truck with someone else and helping out as much as I can. The reason is that they've had two or three recently uh, either lose a gearbox or get driven up the arse of someone else and basically they're short of trucks. They've hired three new drivers they certainly don't have three spare trucks to hand out so we're all just uh, jumping in with other people. Apparently I'm getting the the most basic one they have uh, which is just a shitty flatbed with no reversing camera or uh, mirrors that actually work. But I've been getting used to it and I uh, managed to get in a few tight spots today. So a bit of practice and a bit of solid work ethic and hopefully I'll show them that I'm the right man for the job. As well a job as I can handle right now anyway. And got my pay today. It's weirdly coming in on Tuesdays. Rent's due this week so that was handy. And uh, yeah, speaking of rent, there's no issues at this point with that. I did find out that uh, my housemate's moving in a couple of months after all the drama of basically trying to improve this place enough so we don't get kicked out, I found out a couple of weeks later, after you know, finally being pretty sure we're okay for a while, that uh, he's going to move on anyway because his work's now going up to North Sydney or something. And that's an hour and a half. So fair enough. I can't fault him for that. But yeah, it's just frustrating because of uh, all the effort we've gone to to stay here. And that seems to be... It's only just delayed things by a few months. But thankfully, the granny flat next door will become available real soon. They're thinking maybe July-ish at the latest, maybe August, that uh, they're going to finish up the, the, the ceiling sagging. The guy that used to live there put super glue in all the outlets, even in the fuse box, on the oven, like the, the knobs on this brand new fancy oven. Because Michael, the guy that owns not just my house, but next door on the other side and the granny flat, I was going to have to spend some real money. But he clearly already did to a degree in the granny flat. It's newer than this place because the bathroom looks brand new. Uh, the kitchen looks like it's had some new things put in there. Obviously, all that went south when those tenants had crazy parties, put holes in the fences, and uh, clearly some of the walls. So, yeah, it's going to take a while for the tradie who I've ran into to fix it all up which is okay because that gives me time to sort things out here and at least if I get that place the rent won't be ridiculous I'm guessing around 250 or so a week and I can keep saving up for my RV which I worked out will save me around 15 grand a year and I'm not paying in rent and I'll be able to save up for a deposit which according to recent news articles are going to get easy and easy to sort of get hold of then you know you only need five percent they're going to make it easy to borrow money somehow. The interest rates have gone down again. So who knows? Within a couple of years, I'll be a, a real man that holds property. Because that's what it used to take to be able to vote. Be a man and own. Be a landed gentleman of some kind. So yeah, those yearnings are arising as the age rises with it. Makes sense. Anyway, I'll just I'll stop trying to make sense and get into this article, which is on theoutline.com and written by, oh boy, Isling McCree, Aisling, it's a cool name. I just don't know how to pronounce it. Let's hope it meets my expectations. 
It's called The Magical Thinking of Guys Who Love Logic. Ian Danskin, who makes videos under the moniker Innuendo Studios, has made a name for himself on the internet for his YouTube series on the techniques and beliefs of the alt-right. His most recent video, The Card Says Moops, is worth watching in full. But there was one particular line in it that struck me. Danskin points out that even when their beliefs skew towards the bizarre and conspiratorial, people on the online right often identify as rationalists. This will be unsurprising to those who often engage with the wider online right, whether it is with someone who identifies as outright, libertarian, conservative, as a fan of the intellectual dark web, or even moderate or centrist. Turns out, a lot of people online are self-identifying as moderate, while also believing in conspiracies about white genocide. Although their beliefs may not be identical, there are common distinct patterns in the way they speak or type that one can't help but notice. See, it's funny, I was having an argument tonight with a few guys on this uh, ridiculous group that I don't know why I'm a part of called Get It Off Your Chest or something. And there's so many, like, trumped outright, complete nutjobs. Just, I can't help it. I'm like, guys, what are you talking about? How do you think this is the real world? Like, someone basically shared the video of... Where am I now? Oh, this is... Basically, in London, Trump's over there right now. And uh, once again... They've put this uh, giant inflatable baby Trump in the air. And it's all kind of amusing and not really that much of a big deal. But someone posted a video of it and was like, how pathetic is this? They can't even protest their own leaders. They've got to protest someone else's and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, it's just a stupid blimp. I mean, I probably wouldn't take a day off to go out there, but, you know, good for them. That's their right for free speech and all that. But all these people are turning it into some huge embarrassment. Like, oh, how could they? So I, I jumped into the fray a little bit and had a bit of back and forth. And this one guy's like, what's wrong with Trump? He's done the best. Like, it was just unbelievable how many people were like, yeah, he's, he's the best president we've ever had. And uh, the Mueller thing's showing that he's completely innocent and uh, just on and on and on. I'm like, you know, showing various links and none of it works. And they're like, who do you think's going to win? Hillary's going to come back? Or is she going to shoot people? And just all these... I don't, it doesn't take long. You scrape past the surface of someone who's seemingly intelligent and starting off with reasonable views of like, well, tell me what he's done that's so bad. And then you show link after link and they're like, well, yeah. And then suddenly it just gets crazy town. I don't know why I keep buying into it. Like maybe I can just change this one guy's mind. It was fun either way. Uh, some of the insults were quite amusing. Some guys like, oh, yeah, how can I take someone seriously if they dress up for fun? Yeah, that's that's a, a real zinger there. Back to the article. And I didn't realize it was such a, a lefty uh, rant about alt-right people. And uh, the whole centrist thing's funny too because I really thought I was a centrist because I'm like, I'm in the middle. That's not right at all. I'm like completely unbiased. But clearly centrism is just another way of saying you're a little bit right-wing. Just not so much as the others maybe. But yeah, it's not a, not a uh, popular thing to be right now so I'll have to come up with a more nuanced term for what I am which I'm not quite sure right now but basically not over on the right I'm on the left a bit but not all the way so it's it's a work in progress anyway specifically these guys and they are usually guys love using terms like logic they will tell you over and over how they love to use logic and how the people they follow online also use logic they are also massive fans of declaring they have facts and that their analysis is unbiased, that they only use reason and logic and not emotions to make decisions. The host of the popular leftist podcast Chapo Trap House even titled their book 
The Chapo Guide to Revolution, a manifesto against logic, facts and reason, as a wink and nod to this tendency. I really have to uh, subscribe to that. It sounds fun. If I ever get time to listen to them again, because when you're not by yourself, you kind of have to engage in conversation with people, which at the moment at work is trying at best. So yeah, I'm a bit behind on my podcast listening. These words are usually used interchangeably and without regard to their proper usage, squished together in a vague Play-Doh ball of smug superiority to be thrown wherever possible at their emotional and irrational enemies. Feminists, Marxists, liberals, SJWs, and definitely the feminist Marxist liberal SJWs. You could call these men's way of viewing the world in simple, me smart, you dumb, dicotomies, Manichaean, or even Deridian, if you really want to upset them by referencing a philosopher that they've heard is very bad. A good illustration of this phenomenon recently appeared in a piece for Mel magazine about an increasingly disturbing trend. Women whose once promising romantic relationships implode after their boyfriends become red-pilled. For the benefit of the blissfully uninitiated, to be red-pilled means to internalise a set of misogynistic far-right beliefs popular with certain corners of the internet. The product of a noxious blend of junk science, conspiracy theory, and a pathological fear of social progress. These men will tell you over and over how they love to use logic and how the people they follow online also use logic. I uh, say so that giant quote that's filling up the screen is just a bit that I've already read, so I'll try and avoid those from now on. The men interviewed in the piece, once sweet and caring, started changing after going down a rabbit hole of extremist political content on YouTube and involving themselves in radical right-wing online communities. Convinced of their absolute correctness, these men became at first frustrated, then verbally abusive once they realised their female partners did not always agree with their new views. Any dialogue attempted by these men was not made, at least as far as their partners could tell, with the goal of exchanging views and opening themselves to being challenged. Their goal was to assert their beliefs as fact, to teach their partner the truth, as a Christian missionary might put it. Every woman interviewed in the article, including those who are more formally educated than their boyfriends, make reference to their former partners belittling their intelligence and rationality. These men were certain that they were the smart ones, that they had correctly assessed the facts with logic and that if their women folk did not accept this without question, they were simply too dumb to understand. This might not seem surprising at first when it comes to contentious beliefs. It's not uncommon for people to act as though their view is the inherently superior one. But what's remarkable is how ridiculously confident these men became in relatively short time in their unique philosopher king-like possession of objective truth and superior analysis all while copying their arguments from an echo chamber of poorly cited webcam videos and anonymous internet comments. These magic words do have actual definitions as it happens and they're quite complicated. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy has a commonly used go-to site for academic summaries of philosophical topics and it doesn't even have a single unified article for logic, reason or rationality. Instead they have a plethora of articles around the myriad subtypes and debates around the topic most of which I suspect would mystify the average self-identified logic fan, although in fairness, they would mystify most of us. If you're looking for a more accessible reference, Wikipedia also breaks these terms down into subtypes. Logic, for example, can refer to syllogistic logic, a system in which propositions containing terms with explicit relations to each other can be used to infer a definitively valid conclusion. Socrates is a horse. All horses terrify me. Therefore, Socrates terrifies me. That sort of thing.
Related to this type of logic are other formal types, such as propositional, mathematical, computational logics, but it's rare to come across that particular type of logic online as it relates to real-life political issues. More likely you're talking about some other informal logic, to put it in massively oversimplified terms, a system which seeks to adhere to some standard of analysis and argumentation which is not closed, fixed or prone to definitive conclusions in the way formal logic is. The boundaries and definitions involved in these terms and how we come to identify them are hotly debated. Rationality is the quality of being based on and agreeable to reason, which is also a colossal can of worms. What is reasonable depending on the question and context, one's interpretation of the system, one's values, and so on. These battles over definition are not taking place in the same universe as the one in which men throw around these terms online. But for the logic guys, the purpose of using these words, the sacred magic words like logic, objectivity, reason, rationality, fact, is not to invoke the actual concepts themselves. It's more of a kind of incantation whereby declaring your argument the single logical and rational one magically makes it so, and by extension makes you both smart and correct, regardless of the actual rigor or sources of your beliefs. For men, especially insecure and socially dislocated men, the idea of rationality can be a kind of comfort blanket. Raised from birth with the stereotype that they are more analytically intelligent, in contrast to women who are emotionally intelligent, and with pop culture that venerates logical characters, on a belly-related note, please enjoy this novelty Leonard Nimoy song, which clearly I can't be bothered clicking and then trying to download it and then insert it into the... You'll just have to go to the article, which is The Magical Thinking of Guys Who Love Logic. Cool article title. Shouldn't be too hard to find. It's no wonder that many young men see logic as a sort of personality trait to achieve, one which automatically imbues all one's opinions with correctness, rather than a system that one may or may not be following at any one time. The red pill metaphor here is telling, because it implies that obtaining knowledge and arguing well is not a skill that's slowly and indefinitely improved upon, but an achievement to be unlocked in a single moment. Once you've swallowed the pill, you turn into a smart person, and from then on, all your opinions are correct. I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of figures popular in the red pill community also hawk nootropic supplements. Not sure what they are, but they're clearly pseudoscience. An interesting parallel is the use of the term the Enlightenment to refer to a historical period of discovery in philosophical and the sciences, a period that is often referenced by self-identified logic lovers as a sort of single-use power-up by society. First of all, we were lying around in mud like the serfs in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Then we did the Enlightenment, and by we, of course, I mean white European men. And then everything was smart until Marxists and feminists and post-structuralists messed it all up. In reality, the Enlightenment was composed of a loose, messy assortment of people with very different ideas. You can even include Marx as an Enlightenment philosopher if you like. Rousseau has very little in common with Locke, and outright hated Voltaire. In addition, many Enlightenment philosophers had downright silly views on women, minorities, and the like. As Sylvia Frederici points out in her seminal work, Caliban and the Witch, Women, the Body, and Primitive Accumulation. Many of these brilliant philosophers straight up believed in executing witches. This does not mean we have to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but it does mean that the philosophy had owned one good school and then stopped being good in the 19th century is not a terribly sophisticated take but one that seems more based in wanting to find a shortcut to superiority than good faith inquiry. A similar line of thinking can be seen in the New Atheist movement, 
which grew out of a reaction to the dominance of the Christian right during the George W. Bush era, as well as post-9-11 fears of Islamic fundamentalism. While there are genuine concerns to be raised about the impact of religious beliefs on public policy, what could have been a good-natured movement for secularism became a lightning rod for frustrated young men who wanted to insult people who believed in sky gods, to the point where a lot of atheists began to label the movement toxic and tried to distance themselves from it. Perhaps the nadir of the movement was 2011's Elevator Gate, in which a prominent new atheist woman mentioned that a man had behaved inappropriately to her at an atheist convention and advised other women to avoid this situation in future. Lots of atheist men promptly lost their shit. An over-the-top reaction to women speaking out against harassment is not unique to this movement. For every article praising Me Too, there seems to be another from a very concerned man who worries that everything is going too far and is afraid to even talk to women now. But I suspect the reason the reaction to Elevator Gate was so vitriolic was not just about general sexism, but also about the threat it posed to the new atheist sense of moral superiority. It was much less fun for them to reckon with, say, the complex social structure within the sceptic community and the way that might affect the movement than it was to make fun of some hick who couldn't get his head around evolution. Those were the people who had some learning to do. For the new atheists themselves, there was nothing more to learn. If people from marginalised groups within the movement started speaking about issues which involved listening and learning, or self-reflecting on one's bias as well, that was unacceptable, since it would not require wider reading and understanding of issues that were not immediately accessible or aesthetically pleasing to many new atheist men. In retrospect, it's unsurprising that a lot of new atheism devolved into reactionary anti-feminist and even white supremacist thought, because it was never really about the things it claimed to be about. The dominant effect of new atheism wasn't humility or reflexivity or curiosity. All the things one truly needs to improve intellectually. It was smugness. Another common characteristic of these logicier-than-thou movements is a narrow focus on the type of skill that can be classed as intelligence. Affinity for things like social interaction, languages or the arts, or at least certain types of art, often don't get a look-in. Everything must be reducible to numbers, hence the typical logic lover's obsession with IQ. In The Mismeasure of Man, one of the most well-noted critiques of intelligence research, Stephen Jay Gould, one of my favourite authors, notes the dangers of scientists' bias towards reification, the desire to find a definitive thing that is intelligence and quantification, the desire to slap numbers on stuff. While this is understandable to an extent, things and numbers are easy to understand at a glance, Gould warns that this has led to bad science and perverse outcomes in the past and threatens to mislead us into poor understandings of intelligence at the expense of nuance and complexity. This is all of little concern to the logic lover who wishes not to understand but to use again and again their favourite magic words as a shield against criticism and as a weapon against others. Ah, here we go, I knew they'd bring him up. A good contemporary example of the logic incantation at work can be found in the career of Ben Shapiro, Shapiro, a popular conservative pundit with half a million YouTube subscribers and about 1.86 million Twitter followers, is known for his mantra, Facts don't care about your feelings. YouTube is full of videos titled things like, Brilliant! Ben Shapiro destroys college feminists with reason and intelligence. The prevalence of the term destroy is interesting. If you destroy something, it's not there to bother you anymore, so you don't have to worry about it any longer. Hmm... A New York Times profile called Shapiro the cool kids philosopher. The right-leaning corners of the internet are full of admiration for just how logical he is. 
This is a testament to the power of branding, because on closer inspection, Shapiro isn't a very logical person at all. I don't think this will mention it, but I recently saw an interview with him and a BBC journalist who's actually a bit of a conservative pundit, and it just went fucking south so fast. And Shapiro ended up rage quitting in a huge emotional outburst, and he looked like a complete douche. So, yeah, my brief infatuation, I wouldn't call it an infatuation, but I came across him at first and was like, oh, this guy seems to be fairly entertaining and maybe has his shit together. But the more I learned, the more I was like, oh, I'm out. This guy's a complete tool. Not as extreme, but a similar journey happened with, God, who's that other guy that's old? Bangs on about uh, gender identity politics. The professor. It'll come. Anyway. Also, comes on strong and then you, the more you find out, you're like, oh, okay, he's not that smart after all. Or he's seeing things to a very narrow filter. This is a testament to the power of branding. In current affairs, Nathan Robinson laid out in a very lengthy takedown how Shapiro's admittedly sharp law school skills belie the fact that half the time he speaks, he uses insults rather than arguments, and the other half, the arguments are usually fallacious. If you support a higher tax rate on corporations, why not make tax rates 100% and or based on heavily ideological and emotional presuppositions? Yeah, so he's saying... Well, if you think tax rates should, should be on corporations in a big way, you should. Are you saying they should be 100%? Like it just, it's just stupid. And the last thing it is is logical. Yeah, what was the other thing that happened? Uh, I saw this video and it was a clip of him saying, oh, you know, if, if global warming's really happening, well, people are just going to sell their houses and move further inland anyway, so it's all fine. And then this guy breaks through a wall and, like, Ben, who are they going to sell it to? Fucking Aquaman. Because, yeah. No one's going to buy a house that's about to go underwater. So, yeah, he didn't really think that one through either, did he? Shapiro maintains that gay parents shouldn't adopt children because a man and a woman do a better job of raising a child than two men or two women. Relying on an old reactionary trope rather than a preponderance of the evidence that shows children adopted by same-sex couples do as well as those adopted by different sex couples. He insists on misgendering trans people because he believes that pronouns should be used based on a person's chromosomes a position that would get you laughed out of a room either of uh, medical professionals or of linguists. His position on the unlawful actions of the Israeli government, as Robinson illustrates in his takedown, seems to be entirely based on a combination of his personal religious beliefs and an insistence that the Palestinian Arab civilians are evil, a position which has led him to support ethnic cleansing in the occupied territories. None of this seems like logic to me. It seems like a person who has very strongly held the presuppositions that they insist on holding on to the way a child holds on to their stuffed animal, stubbornly and with a comically frowny face you kind of want to tickle under the chin. And still, the brand endures, as at Drill would put it. According to his supporters, and even many who might not support him, Ben Shapiro loves facts. Why? Well, because he says he loves facts. He's not basing his assertion on feelings, and we know this because he says that he isn't. Of course, to assert this as a positive thing requires the, requires the presupposition that feelings are inherently bad and irrelevant to political discourse, which is not necessarily true. But to talk about this would require an in-depth knowledge of epistemology, I know I'm saying that wrong, I'm just going to go with it, and political philosophy, which is beyond the scope of this piece. Enough of this blabber about the meaning of knowledge, please. Just the facts, ma'am. By insisting on this interpretation of his own character, over and over, buoyed by the idolatrous support of his loyal fans and the snarky titles of his clickbait videos, Shapiro conjures into being an image of himself as the rational man, 
Say the magic words enough times and the spell will be cast over your audience. To be honest, even though I'm not a man, this is a tendency I understand. People want to feel smart. Calling your opinions and feelings rational, as opposed to the irrational opinions and feelings of others, is a shortcut to boosting your self-esteem. And it's certainly not as though this tendency is unique to reactionaries. I think we're all prone to this sometimes. The key is to recognise it for what it is. Nothing more than a bias that we must overcome in order to clearly identify how exactly we came to a viewpoint and whether it truly holds up to scrutiny. This is important for any recent convert, whether it's to the intellectual dark web or communism or CrossFit. We must not mistake our imagined transfiguration from regular person to omniscient wizard for reality. This is my attempt to break the spell, I guess. Repeat after me. Calling something logic doesn't make it so. Calling something rational doesn't make it so. Opinions from YouTube men are not facts. Getting mad about philosophers you haven't read isn't reason. Insulting your girlfriend because she questions your sudden political shift isn't logic. For a group of people who claim to hate the supposed redefinition of words when it comes to gender and race, for a group of people who are very mad about this postmodern tendency to say nothing means anything, or at least this is an aspect of postmodernism they seem to have gleaned from their favourite subreddits, the new young reactionaries are remarkably devil-may-care about certain words when they seem to lend credibility and strength to their opinions. By repeating magic words, they avoid having to deal with a gruesome fact, one that really doesn't care about their feelings, that they are just one person on a computer with an opinion, talking to other people on computers with opinions. I don't know what the future holds for these guys, but I do wish they'd stop playing with their magic words. So that's that article. That was quite fun. Could I could have kept going with that. Like if she wrote 10 more pages, I'd be down. But there's a couple of other links here. I don't know if it's the same writer. No, because it says here, the intellectual dark web is just a bunch of whiny rich people. These hosts and personalities with audience the size of Rachel Maddow's have monetized a persecution narrative. So if I go to, it doesn't say who wrote that. But if I click on it, it's Paris Martineau. What a cool name. Certainly not. Aisling. But uh, if I click on that name, Aisling McCree, freelance writer, researcher, and graduate student, uh, there's, at this point, two articles. The one I just read, and something called Resolved, Debate is Stupid. Wow, that is correct, and there is no counter-argument. Debate is indeed very stupid. One's from The one I just read is from February, and the other one's from November, I'm guessing, last year. Now, there's no year on it, but pretty easy to jump into. I can read the other one at some point. Oh, there's a year, November 28th last year, so hopefully there'll be more to come because it's just something punchy and, and fun about... Reminds me of Richard Glover's columns and even to a point... Is it Ben Law? Benjamin Law, yeah. I want to read some of his stuff. Anyway, so it's, it's highbrow, but it's also an entertaining read. So I think we've got time for one more. I'm halfway through an article on Vulture called Avengers Endgame is More Clever Than It Needed To Be. And I don't know if I've ever read this already on uh, on the internet. I mean, on a podcast. So, that's frustrating. I think it's time has gone. Yeah, I've definitely read it before, but I don't know if it's out loud. And uh, it's not that long, but I do want to do a proper episode on Endgame at another point in time and just do all the trivia and, and there's going to be a lot of repetition so I can edit those bits out and all that sort of thing. But Yeah, this one I'll leave, I think. Vulture's a great website, but I'll move on from that for now and check out this one. Oh, I've got the Narcos Mexico trivia sitting here. I've got so many tabs up, I forgot that some I don't really need. 
I did see Narcos, and I, there's a reason this is here, because uh, I was like going to go into it, and there's really not that many bits of trivia. This is the later series, not the one set in Colombia. Uh, this is you know made literally last year. I'm looking forward to the next season. I think there's only been two so far. Um, it's a bit slower than the Colombian one, with Pablo Escobar, who's also in it because they jump around in time, and he's he's got so much stage presence screen presence like you really think the actor who plays him just kills it Carlos Munoz Potal the production's location manager was murdered in Temescalapa in central Mexico his murder nearly derailed the entire production over safety concerns well shit they're not fucking around Mexico is still a very violent and dangerous place and I'm hoping that's the only crew member that died that's all I can see there production location manager god that's a pretty big title too so heart goes out to him Many of the songs in the series are Narco Corrados, a popular genre of Norteno Mexican folk music and forgive my awful Spanish. Both Diego Luna, so that's the main character, and Wagner Mura, Pablo Escobar, hey, I didn't know his name, both also appear together in Elysium as Julio and Spider, or sorry, Julio and Spider respectively. So now I have to watch Elysium again and go, whoa, that's that guy. Great movie. The book that the old man reads in the morgue is La Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. So I don't remember that. Yeah. Kiki Camarena. Enrico Kiki. He's called the Jesus of the DA by an agent of the Drug Enforcement AG Agency in Narco Season 1. That's, uh... Oh, God, I forget his name. I've got nothing. Pina? Michael Pina? I don't know. He doesn't make it, fortunately. And it's fucking sad. Like, it ends. I think it's over. And the DA do get some of their own back. Like, they, they come over in force and just start shutting shit down. Just like off the book fucking murders like you killed one of our guys and you're going to fucking pay for it so that was pretty cool but they did do that in like a five minute highlight montage reel which felt like not enough like the the shit that Kiki went through and suffered you just wanted more vengeance than is shown but it's just a harsh world and unfortunately the show reflects that as realistically as they can Enrique Camarena's son, also named Enrique Camarena became a deputy district attorney in San Diego he held that position for several years before being appointed judge of the Superior Court, that's the cat knocking something off, namely the Westworld DVDs, which I finally finished, season one and two, so I'll have to do an IMDB on that. Brazilian actor Wagner Mura appears just once as drug kingpin Pablo Escobar, the very character for which he was Golden Globe nominated in Narcos, the 2015 version. Yeah, I knew that. Enrique and Mika asked to show their passports when crossing into Mico into Mexico at a time when it wasn't required to do so. Oh, okay. I don't know which characters they were, but that... Oh, they're going to mess up the occasional silly, trivial thing like that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to punch in Westworld. Westworld. Because now, they won't be spoiling it for me. Because that's one show I really didn't want stuff spoiled because it's so intense and awesome. And uh, yeah, when's bloody... I've got to wait till next year. There's always a long wait till the next season, but it's always worth the wait. Um, and I will just uh, have it ready to go here with the trivia. And there's a fair bit there. So I think that'll be next episode. And it will just grow as season three comes out and so on. So I've finished that. I've finished Billions. Now I've started watching Misfits on uh, Stan. Pretty good. Uh, it's got a few actors that I recognize. One of them namely plays a character in Game of Thrones. I'm forgetting the name right now, but it's such a different kind of character in Misfits he's like this weird awkward kid that basically can't communicate too well with other people and he's a huge pervert which is fairly obvious even to the others but 
in Game of Thrones, he's like this strong, even like, he's the dude that tames, who ends up coming up with Reek and chopping off his penis and, and just completely cucking this guy that used to be a, uh, a contender for the throne. And he's like, no, no, you're my bitch. And he's a real piece of shit who ends up getting eaten by his own dogs. I just can't remember the name right now. So it's weird seeing that character be so different from... It's not often you see an actor play two different characters that are so vastly on another end of the spectrum so early into their career. So that's good to see. So there's that. I'll have that ready to go. I've got a New York Times article here. If you like this, you're sure to love that. Oh, yeah, that's the old thing about how it's really, really hard to come up with ways to guess what people are going to um, enjoy. But the problem is it's kind of an old article. It's from 2008, so it's a little bit out of date, but we'll have that ready to go, and I won't go further into any others because that's a fairly good uh, rundown and I'm long enough into the tooth on this, and I do need to go to bed because I'm up in about maybe uh, six hours. And I'll be driving. That's what Greg's got me doing. It's your truck. You've got to drive it. He just, I think, wants to sit next to me and go be on the phone which is fair enough um i would do the same thing in his place it'd be nice if we could share the load a little bit more i've just gotta suck it up but that's it that's the fucking we're in june so that's the 4th of june some bills due 2019 it's 10 o'clock at night i'm gonna go to bed i hope wherever you are doing well if you're not let me know when let's talk about it but for now peace out loves you all good night